Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, this episode is sponsored by Vitamate. My, my guest today is the, um, fuck, I got it, program director for Shun Pike. Yes? yes. Yep. Correct. And he's the co-executive producer for Vanishing Seattle, which is a documentary series focusing on uh, parts of Seattle that is vanishing, even though I just <laughs> said the title <laughs> reverse, but it's honestly pretty, it's pretty accurate, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, it's self-explanatory, but yeah, as long as you can know what it is just by hearing about it, that's awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you how I learned about you. Um, I just love how there's so many different communities in Seattle that are connected. It's just kind of wild, but... Um, Basically, one of my clients, Blaine Parrot, has a podcast called the That Ain't Black Podcast, mm-hmm. and he he had on uh, Avery Barnes yeah. from Tazwira. That's what's up. Yeah. And uh, so that was, I think she got her shop last April or something around there. Yeah, in the spring. In the spring, um, Avery hasn't been on the podcast yet, but I, I think of her as a friend. She has uh, an African streetwear company and brand and storefront in. Uh, in Pioneer Square near the the stadium, and I'm bringing Martin on to to talk about. Um, honestly, I, I definitely want to focus on vanishing Seattle and how much Seattle's changing. Um, Sean Pike and how that relates and is connected with Seattle Restored, which was how uh, Avery got her shop in in downtown Seattle area. And I also want to talk about his his background because he's done a lot in his life. Uh, so, first off. Were you born and raised here in the, the Seattle area? Uh, I was actually born in, right? Well, I was born in Bremerton. Okay. Uh, I lived there until I was three. Moved to Kirkland. Mm-hmm. So I'm an East Side boy. Hey. Yeah. Um, lived there until I was 18. And then I went to Evergreen State College in Olympia. Okay. And most of my adult life, I've spent living in Seattle. So by this point, about half my life in Seattle. Hey, that's dope. I, uh, I'm an East Side boy myself, Mercer Island. So <laughs> You're Mercer I, Island? Yeah. Okay. Token, token black guy. I know, right? I was Shout the token out. Asian guy back in the day. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. What was that like? Because honestly, I felt, and I've said this a lot on the podcast, um, I seriously didn't think of racism until I turned 18 and moved off Mercer Island. Okay. Like I genuinely, I guess looking back, you can always point out like a little subtle racism, right? But I felt that because people, there's a lot of assuming, but you know, to live on the Mercer Island, you have to be pretty wealthy, right? So with that, the assumption is everyone's kind of equal on the, on the pay scale on Mercer Island. So I feel like people look past that and just look at who you are as a person. So I never really felt any of that racism until I kind of, because I I don't live on Mercer Island anymore. Mm -hmm. I've been away from there for about three years now. And Maybe it's because I was first drawn to a genre like hip hop and I started um understanding more about like my black culture or maybe it's just because I've been I've been going on tour and just learning more about the world. But um how how did how did it feel for you growing up? Did you feel like there was racism? Did you feel like that token Asian kid? I definitely felt the racism. I mean, mm-hmm. I think for me, like being a you know, East Asian man or Southeast Asian man. You don't get it as bad. It's not as blatant, right? You right. know, um, Asian Americans are a little more accepted into the mainstream, but there are definitely times growing up where I just felt different. You right. know, um, be it from speaking Vietnamese with my parents in public, and just you know, I hate to say it, but I felt shame right. when I was a kid, right? Because you could feel different. You could feel some people judging you. You know, you, you want to be like everyone else, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what the suburbs is, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to be like everyone else, um, and then just customs. 
Uh, I think the first time I went to school and had a school lunch, I didn't understand the salad bar because right. I had never done anything like that. Um, and then you'd get the things like being called Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee. Sometimes it's to your benefit. I mean, I never got in a fight growing up because I think people thought I knew martial arts, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think when I was younger, I didn't have a word for it fully. You know, mm -hmm. I can't fully explain what I was feeling in certain situations, you know, why the cashier acted a certain way with me rather than someone else or um, going over to a friend's house and the mom telling him, don't tell my husband you're Vietnamese, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, I knew it was there. Um, it was always like kind of a low hum in your life. I don't know if I have one of those big dramatic like boom, you know, smash like a racist incident that just like right. changed my life. But yeah, it was always present. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. And see, I also I feel like me not being Asian, I feel like I fall victim to it sometimes as well, though, that I feel like people kind of, yeah, they just block it in as like Asian or Japanese or whatever. And like, how does that feel like people aren't really because it's a weird thing as a black person, you know, like the stereotype of people being blot over to America through slavery, right? Yeah. Um, the stereotype of us not really knowing our background is kind of pretty true. I don't, like, so if people just say I'm black, I'm not going to be like, actually, I'm Ethiopian versus having, I don't know if I'm Ethiopian. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah. you know, like I have friends who genuinely have like moved, moved with their families from Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. But um, just as like a black American, people just box me in as being black. But how does that feel to be like just, blocked in as being Asian versus actually under people caring about like your right. roots or anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, every marginalized, you know, people like marginalized people mm. in the country, they have different experiences, right? Uh common thread with Asian Americans is just being othered. Right. You know? I mean, we're from all over the place, right? Mm. Filipino, Japanese, Vietnamese, Sri Lankan, everything, but when folks see us, it's just that's that's some immigrant, right. you know, that's an alien American. Um, so what was interesting was no one ever knew I was Vietnamese or if they knew I was that, that didn't mean anything to them. Right. Mm. You know, you're just the Asian kid. You're like the one or two Asian kid at school. Um, when I went to college, oddly enough, one of my friends who grew up in South Seattle mm -hmm. saw my last name. She was, oh no, she, she was, she is white. And mm. she was just like, oh, you're Viet. And that's so crazy. It took mm. like 18 years for me to feel like I was being seen wow. by, you know, dominant culture. Um, so yeah, how does it feel? Feels makes you feel invisible. Yeah, you know, like you're not one of them, but they also don't have a word or an understanding of what you are. Mm -hmm. And there's like a lot of white guilt right now too, which is so funny. I had, <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm just gonna break this down because I didn't use it as promo, okay. but <laughs> yeah, so. I'm I'm throwing a, a Halloween show, um, in, in on October 28th, and it's one of my first ever actual like concerts that I'm throwing and it's going to be um, artists from different genres. Um, it's a good chance for artists who are, aren't connected with other genres to meet. And then also the normies who aren't in music or whatever to meet too, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to make it so it's just like everyone is allowed or if I'm going to make it so I'm removed um, from a little bit from, but I want it cause it's kind of like a Halloween costume showcase thing. Um, but, but but basically, um, I was making this promo, and I I sent it to my mom. I have a close relationship with my mom, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was remaking. Um, <laughs> this is fucked, but it's kind of silly too. No, yeah, okay. let me know, let me know. <laughs> so I was remaking like old like horror movies for each artist I was performing, and like put them putting them on the cover to make be silly, oh, yeah. you know. And one of my one of my guests, 
um, Sichi, he um, he's Japanese American, and he wears an outfit that looks like. Have you seen you before? No. Do you know what it is though? No. What is that? Oh, you is this uh, like. It's kind of like almost fan fiction serial killer show on Netflix. Like oh, it, it really yeah, yeah. like romanticizes being like a serial killer basically. Okay. And like the entire it's like four I think the fourth season's about to come out and everyone's still basically on the side of the serial killer. <laughs> They're like he's just hopelessly romantic and he oh, has yeah. to kill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, he doesn't mean it. He's yeah. dreamy. <laughs> but basically like I I sent this to my mom I was like, "Hey, do you think this is a is this clever cuz Sichi happens to sometimes dress like the guy from you. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so I just put the you Netflix title in behind him. And then my mom's like, you know, people are going to think you're saying that guy's name is Yo or something. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? But, then with, <laughs> but like, seriously, there's, there's a lot of like white guilt where you see where I, this is just a super <laughs> silly take on like white guilt or like, um, woke culture but i almost feel like in certain instances with like um w- with that premise that like people are over analyzing and they're becoming the racist person being like actually this is how you're <laughs> you're putting you yeah. behind this asian this japanese american mm-hmm. and being like that's the people are gonna read that as yo i'm like actually mom i think you're the only one <laughs> going to read it like yeah. that yeah so it, it's it's funny how there is like a shift towards wanting to like overcorrect but sometimes that overcorrection is more racist than. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, you know, I won't get too specific, but I remember just talking about something like an event and how we should accommodate folks. Mm-hmm. And the conversation around it was so, I don't know how to say it, um, over communicative, like almost like yelling in this person's face, I see you. Yeah. That to me, I thought it would be better just to take care of the situation rather yeah. than like other someone to yeah. their face, you know? I mean, yeah, you don't got to show how sensitive you are. By showing how sensitive you are, sometimes you're showing how insensitive you are. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I, of course, I love these, like, these opportunities that are popping up in Seattle, like um, Sean Pike and mm-hmm. Seattle Restored and, and everything like that. But also sometimes I'm like, it's cool these opportunities exist, but, like, why as a, as a minority do... I have to like apply to these things to feel like equal or something. Like I, yeah. I thought we were all supposed to be equal, but like we actually have to go out of our way or like Blaine, shout out Blaine again, my client, that ain't black podcast. Um, <laughs> he just had uh, Kalina Bruce um, from Nor Lux Candle Co. Okay. I think, yeah. I think it's in downtown. Or, no, it's like she either said lower or upper Queen Anne, which are total different areas, but <laughs> something like that. Right. And she was, she worked, um, I forget what college she had worked at before going into the candle business mm. but like like um her her students really had to fight for like scholarships for um african americans to the point like the school wouldn't take it seriously that they had to like set up like gofundmes and cash ups and stuff like that uh-huh. to make it like a real like grassroots scholarship versus having the school accept it because then they're like oh but then doesn't that exclude white people oh, and then but then she's like if you're already excluding black people, they're like, because the school's um, argument was like, well, we don't have white scholarships. But then you're like, okay. it's not, it's not, it's, it's not explicitly a white scholarship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's it's a weird thing. Like we want to be equal, but uh, and feel equal. 
and I'm happy like the, there are programs out there like that. But isn't it like how do you feel about that? I mean, it sucks that the playing field is like that, right? Yeah. Like, um, sometimes we have to create our own lane. Uh, sometimes we have to call it out. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's like those old arguments. You ever hear those arguments where folks are like, "Why is there a BET but not a WET?" Right. 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 Because right. all the other channels are WET. <laughs> you know what I mean, just because. Just because there was one Black Power Ranger and then everyone else was, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, I just don't... Uh, some some folks just don't see it that way. They're right. so used to the world being a certain way right. that they don't realize it caters to them, right. right? And so anytime we have to call it out and create a space for ourselves, and sometimes we name it, right? We call it BET or Seattle Asian American Film Festival. Mm. For some reason, they feel excluded. But right. we're just trying to create our lane, man. Yeah, very yeah. true. So you you went you went to college in Olympia. What did you go to college for? Uh, so I went to well, I went to college to study film. Hey, there yeah, we go. Right. Um, I also went to college that specific college, the Evergreen State College, because they didn't have grades. Mm. Yeah, it was just evaluations by professors every quarter. Um, everything was interdisciplinary, so you would take one block program and get sixteen credits. But in that class, you would get four credits for film, four credits for um, history for credits for literature. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great experience. It's very white. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah, very white. Yeah, but it was. I mean, for a suburban kid, it's mind blowing. Mm. Just the concepts, you know, that we talked about. Um, just questioning everything, you know. Um, yeah, the college kind of spun me out, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you, your beliefs are always challenged. Like, what do you believe? What do you think? Blah blah. And then it was like, why? 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 Um, so. More than anything, taught me critical thinking and to just like question systems and question myself as well and mm-hmm. make sure that what I'm doing uh, is right, is aligned with my values, is impacting the world in a positive way. Right. Yeah. Did you always have like a, a love for film growing up? Oh, for sure. Really? For sure. Um, it was Bruce Lee, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I've always loved like TV, comic books, books. But film just kind of brings everything together, right? It's larger right. than life, you know? You go to a movie theater and this person's face is 20 feet tall. Yeah. You know? And it's, you got the sound effects, you got the music. Uh, it's just so impactful. I just feel like of all the art forms, it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no mm-hmm. disrespect to any other art form. Um, it just hit me personally the most. Right. Because it was so all-encompassing. And then for me, I mean, there's just no Asian Americans anywhere. You know? Mm-hmm. It was just side characters it was waiters it was making fun of our accents but there was like bruce lee right you know and just like showed up and beat everyone's ass and <laughs> it was beautiful you know yeah. so yeah ever since then ever since i can remember i was just like i want to do that i mean back then i wanted to be a martial artist i wanted to be bruce lee right that didn't work out right. <laughs> but i just love the whole the whole process of making film and telling stories did it ever like impact you that he spent some time in seattle like did you ever think about that oh for sure yeah, yeah. i mean that's the thing about um, just representation and seeing things close at hand mm-hmm. that are a success, right? I mean, I knew he went to Utah for a bit. Yeah. I knew he went to Tai Tung for Chinese food. You know, I know he still has roots in the community. Um, it inspired me to take Jeet Kune Do mm-hmm. later on in life, you know? Um, so just knowing that he was on the same streets as me, breathing the same air as me, you know, yeah. made it more real and definitely like connected to me hell like, yeah. yeah are you are more. you are you still into like martial arts at all or nah, man. no <laughs> no it's been a long time i mean i took aikido back in the day okay yeah do you know aikido i yeah my my uh my um 
my stepdad is like huge into like all different types of martial arts. He, um, like, yeah, he went through like a 15 year journey of just trying all these different types. Oh, and really? now I think he's, he's definitely landed on like jujitsu as his main okay. thing now. That's a good one. Yeah. Especially as you get older. Like, yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was younger, I mean, I wanted to take the high flying martial arts, but right. my parents wanted me to take something kinder. Right. <laughs> so Aikido is all about the flow of energy and yeah. movement and defensive. So I took Aikido for a few years, uh, kind of fell off that when I hit high school and then took a little bit of Jeet Kune Do, okay. like right after college. But yeah, I never kept it up. I really should have. Yeah. it's yeah. a. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I need to find, because I, I also realized, I've been having a lot of epiphanies lately. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I realized that I like to be in shape, but I also don't want to think that I have to like work out. So like if it's like tennis mm -hmm. or basketball or whatever, that's fine. But like I hate being like, oh, I actually have to like lift weights right. or something. No, I, th I think it's always easier when it's purposeful. Yeah. You know, um, just like lifting weights to, yeah, just <laughs> it feels yeah. so weird or running on a treadmill yeah. for no purpose. You just kind of feel like a, you know, a rat, right? Yeah. Um, but times when I've had a goal, you know, like, I want to run this half marathon, which I've only done once. I'll never do again. It was Ooh. very painful. But, <laughs> but it got me in shape, right? Because there was a goal. Yeah. You know, there was a reason for it. It wasn't just, um, yeah, thinking I have to be in shape or um, just oh. the way you look or whatnot, right? Like That's a good point. That's Okay, that's actually I like it because there's an automatic goal when you're doing a sport, you know, because mm -hmm. you're like, I'm going to win. There's a competition versus like, I guess after lifting weights, you might feel like some energy. Like, sure, wow, yeah. I did that. But like, there's no, the goal is like months down the road when you actually see the, yeah. <laughs> I guess I like instant gratification. <laughs> I get it, man. Lie. So do I. So do I. <laughs> so, so did you go to, did you go to school for um, a specific type of film? Was it document, what do you say? Documentarian? Um, documentary film. <laughs> documentary. Film. No, I mean, <laughs> honestly, my grades weren't that great. So mm. of all the schools I thought of. Um, that had film programs. Evergreen was nearby. It was a state school. I could afford it. Um, but what's interesting is Evergreen focused on documentary film and experimental film. Okay. So I showed up there with a real narrative mindset, you know, mm -hmm. just wanting to do fiction. Um, and me and my friends, um, who I still work with to this mm -hmm. day, we just kind of retrofit our ideas into, say, experimental film, you know? Got it. Um, what, what counts as experimental film? Dang, that's so funny. That is so hard to define, uh -huh. right? Um, it's just anything that kind of breaks the norm, you know? I mean, uh -huh. instead of like a three-act structure and all uh -huh. that, it's just experimenting with mood and sound. Um, I mean, <laughs> we can swear and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Fucking swear. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. No, man. Uh, I remember one time in class, we were watching this experimental film. It was 20 minutes long, a single shot, and all it was was a nude body head framed out just writhing back and forth wow i mean i appreciate that they tried something different yeah you know what i mean it's not my cup of tea yeah but that's kind of experimental film right like what about the new Dahmer series oh dang have you I seen that i won't watch that it's pretty fucked up is it <laughs> but like yeah what makes it more intense is there's no music the entire time oh are you serious yeah so that's what makes it more suspenseful okay so does that count well like Oh, that's well, a, make that's, something experiment. It's yeah. yeah. That's true. That I mean, that's kind of like Dog Dogma ninety five. You know that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's kind of like a Dogma ninety five. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think it's just kind of breaking out of the the norms. You know, just anytime you take okay the accepted structure and do something completely different. So like a like and a, 
modern black and white movie would be experimental or uh i would i would say it's more in my experience and i'm probably completely off i feel like experimental film is more really out of experiential okay you know you can't be you can't say uh the hero went here did that okay. learned this it's more you know it's just playing with sound and movement and different ideas and it's almost more like poetry okay. in a way. It's got okay. a little less structure than a screenplay. Okay, okay. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Got it. And, and you gravitated more towards the documentarian side? Or, uh, why am I saying it so it's documentary side? The, <laughs> I'm documentary just trying to make side. it seem like it's a... <laughs> no, I mean, my thing, I mostly do narrative. Okay. You know, so when I was at school, I would do experimental films, but it would be something along the lines of... Uh, self-examination of procrastination but it was just my excuse to stage ninjas fighting yeah you know okay. but i would make i would say it represents my inner demons yeah, yeah you yeah. know um but you know you go through all the different courses and you do different things so i definitely did do some documentary mm -hmm. um documented my buddy tug he was right. a fantastic basketball player so mm -hmm. it was just a day in the life of him um it was also kind of interesting because that was the first year of the basketball team at evergreen because it was complete liberal arts school mm. no sports programs i mean the mascot is a gooey duck <laughs> great <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah and then i didn't get back into documentary until years later when i worked with cynthia okay cynthia brothers on vanishing seattle but in between then i've mostly done uh comedy shorts okay got yeah. it so what what happened once you once you left college what was what was your trajectory that's so funny. I feel I feel like a lot of artists just have a crazy trajectory when mm -hmm. you talk to them, right? So graduated college, um, took a year, worked at Nordstrom, huh? right? Um, Bellevue Square. That yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then my partner at the time, her father was starting a business overseas. Wow. So I went, first we started in Toronto and then moved over to Pakistan and Dubai because we were doing a tv station for mm -hmm. um that region it was kind of like a pbs model just educational shows. so i was there to do the programming actually so i would watch films from national geographic nhk um negotiate deals just buy those you know that programming mm -hmm. uh, get that licensing that lasted about a year then i came back so um, you lived in pakistan Kind of. I never had my own address, right? So uh -huh. I was always staying at people's places or in hotels between Karachi and Dubai. Wow. Yeah. It didn't last too long. Um, we were just there to like kind of set up. I think it was like five or six months. Got it. And then, yeah, I came back to the States. Um, and then, you know, kind of that cliche of waiters are, or actors are waiters, you know? Mm. I've always had a gig that feeds me. Okay. You know? Yeah. So um, I still, to this day, work at Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center. Okay. Right? Which is a fantastic place, which they do amazing work. Um but it gives me that space to kind of go and do my own thing, you mm. know, being creative and make sure I have insurance and make sure I eat, you know, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. hard like anywhere. But these days and in Seattle, it's near impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been at Fred Hutch. And then. What do you do there? I do IT support for informatic systems. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So let's talk about Fred Hutch for a second. Okay. okay. Yeah. What's up? So being in the medical field. How did you feel about COVID when it first hit? Like, were you freaking out too or what? Um, Yeah, because you're surrounded by folks who take you seriously, right? Mm -hmm. Who don't only understand the science, they know the science. So it was just interesting, um, the conversations we would have by that point, it hit Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. Of how, you know, the greater culture was taking in this information and how some folks weren't getting vaccinated, right? Yeah. Um, so obviously... 
even our friend Hutch will find folks who are anti-vax, but mm -hmm. the majority of folks were believing in the science, were vaccinated. Uh, Fred Hutch is a spot where you can get vaccinated, right? Like I've gotten a few shots there. Um, but yeah, I mean, believe the research, believe peer-reviewed studies, you mm -hmm. know, that's my opinion. Um, I've had so many vaccinations as a kid, you yeah. know, growing up, like yeah. you couldn't go to school unless you got vaccinated. Right. I didn't feel like this one was any different. Right. Yeah. So we're about to go in a rabbit hole now. Yeah, what's up? Okay. So um, my, my stepdad is... He really doesn't even know how many different races he is, but he's so yeah. he's he's a total mixed mixed guy. Um, but definitely, like when you look at him, he's like Asian, right? But like okay. he has like when he grows out his beard, it's like ginger colored. Oh, like, okay. 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 yeah. His family's just so mixed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like we, we we would have lots of conversations about like how how black people were treated during the pandemic with George mm -hmm. Floyd and everything. Mm -hmm. And then he would be like, "Yeah, Blake, but no one's no one's uh, talking about like how Asian people are treated, hmm. or how like if he's going to the grocery store, like people would literally like stare at him during right. COVID and things like that, um, you know." And then we started having like videos popping up of people getting um, attacked, and then um, like when I was in LA, there was like just gigantic billboards of like stop Asian hate and things right. like that. And um, yeah. how, how did COVID affect you that way? Like personally? Sure. Um, it's kind of interesting. Just folks in my community being afraid to go out mm -hmm. even in their own community. Cause obviously, I mean, there were attacks in the CID, yeah. right? Um, I mean, again though, like after when, after Trump got elected or, you know, all this Asian hate because of COVID, I either don't feel it personally mm -hmm. or I get away with it because the folks who attack, you know, Asian Americans or black folks because of effed up reasons, mm. they're cowards. Right. You know? So almost all the personal stories I got of, you know, someone yelled at me or someone attacked me, it was almost always from an Asian woman by herself. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's just they they pick off who they think they can bully. Right. So for me, um, I don't know. I think my shaved head makes me look tougher than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So I never get it personally. I never get someone yelling at me, like, you right. know, get out of my country, whatever. But I'll just go and meet a friend for lunch and they'll be like, this happened to me. You yeah. know, I got off the bus and this guy yelled this or this guy grabbed me and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, on a communal level, it hurts and it sucks. And I can't stand seeing people I care for and just anyone being treated that way. Yeah. Um, Knock on wood, I've been lucky to not be cornered into that. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's terrible. I feel like that almost puts us like in the same boat where like of course, like I said, when I left Mercer Island I, I spirit experienced a lot of like way more subtle racism or mm. certain racism. But I never felt like Yeah, it's bad, but I never felt like it tra tra traumatized me. Yeah. Right. But like of course I have tons of friends who have been traumatized and it's almost when you're not the one that's completely being like the victim and being like, or hurts you on a deeper level, I almost feel like it's then you're, um, I don't know if obligation is the right word, but then that's giving you the opportunity to tell their story yeah, and be the one that can make a change or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's kind of weird where if you're not the one being attacked, it's almost like you have a weight on your shoulder too, especially if people are coming to you and expressing this especially because i don't know like at first you like no matter what it is whether it's um 
like a woman being sexually assaulted or racism or whatever, like the more and more people come to you and feel comfortable telling you things, mm-hmm. that's something that you, that's people are coming to you because they trust you and that they feel like you have, whether you have a media platform or yeah. a business or whatever, it's kind of, you're given, you're given a job to mm-hmm. like um, share yeah. those stories. I mean, I think just as citizen of the world, especially yeah. if you have the power to do something or, I think you should, right? I mean, yeah. you're a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. I think there's a reason we gravitate towards storytelling, right? Because yeah. it makes a difference. It hopefully gives voice to things that don't have a voice. And I mean, people who are attacked or who have very personal experiences like that, that's so much like trauma, you know? There's such yeah. a burden on them that to make them the sole advocate for themselves is fucked up. Right, you know? right. I mean, that's where as a friend or a human being or as a colleague or whatever, you should step up and try to advocate for them. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like who you can, for a podcast, for what I do, it's like also like me always figuring out if I'm giving the right person a platform or if I Uh, do give someone a platform. Right. And then I hear like, months down the road like people be like you know this person did this and i'm like oh shit right like at a certain point maybe that falls on accountability on my part or me just being ignorant because i'm also young enough where i'm able to use that but like how long can i be like oh i'm young (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know any any better like i i'm not going to say any names but like recently someone in like media in seattle Mm-hmm. who has probably it's like it's not laughable because it's it's laughable because of like how bad it is like how bad yeah, the like, reputation is like it's okay. it's like i laugh because of like how like in, terrible like makes me I, you know how bad like it's like it's i just laugh like, when i'm uncomfortable yeah it's Always. like it's such yeah. a like this person that reached out to me has such a bad reputation across like media and they reached out to me and I was like, I don't even think me, because then I'm like, if they want to come on my show, maybe that means I should have people who have negatively been impacted by them come on the show mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, those people probably don't even want to come on the show because that just adds more right. trauma to them. Right. And then this specific person has been out of the media for so long, maybe that's their punishment. Like they're getting deplatformed and... It's been, you know, and whatever sure. it is. Yeah. So maybe me, me reaching out, being not me, reach, me being like, if I, I did decided to decline this person, yeah. but I'm like, That's fair. if I had given this person a platform at the same time, I'm giving them a platform. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like weighing out all those things and what stories mm-hmm. need to be told and like who can be redeemed and who can't. And if it's my choice or yeah. job, it's, it's a very interesting thing that's a tough one <laughs> you know, that's, that's a tough question i mean for me the way i approach my projects um i just try to do no harm yeah you know am i always successful probably not not probably not i'm not right, right. um but i, I want to make a difference but i want things to be positive i want people to benefit from it you know yeah uh i mean in community especially with things that have been happening lately um things are coming up about folks you know and maybe they're folks that you thought were great or you'd worked with or built with before um but you know your experience of them isn't everyone else's experience of them 
And for me, I don't think it's my place to be the forgiver. You right, know? right, right. Um, I'm not the one who was a victim of mm-hmm. them, right? So I'm going to stay out of it, <laughs> you know? Um, I'm not going to give that person a, a space to continue to do harm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then indirectly, you know, like on film or on a podcast, that's just not what I would want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting because like even there's also examples where like I've had friends that might be a menace, but it's more to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then yeah. uh, and I'm like, <laughs> hey, whether how you communicate with people or maybe mm-hmm. like your substance abuse is sure. out of hand. I'm like, well, in certain situations like that, it's less about how, what well, is important, how they have talked to others or whatever. But I'm also like, in moments like that, I have one friend in particular who just went off to rehab mm. and um, I'm like, I was one of their only friends before they just left because they've burnt so many bridges. And I'm yeah. like, I yeah. felt that it was important for me to support them during that entire time and finally deciding to go to rehab, mm-hmm. you know? So like think things like that, cause like you have to weigh out, there's just always a consistent yeah. like weighing out good and bad, what your morals are. Even if you have, you think you have the best morals, someone else might be like, no, your morals aren't. So it's, it's, yeah, a, that's fair. it's an interesting thing. And Seattle's just such a interesting place to be a part of too. And we're, we get so, put into like a bubble mm. you know mm-hmm. like like for a religion for example in seattle right not a lot of people are religious and people are i feel like for the most part are more welcoming to like you know different genders different yeah. whatever yeah. right and then like um i've been going i've been going on this on tour with this comedian named joe dombrowski mm-hmm. i think i bring joe up a lot too but cool. shout out joe um <laughs> Uh, Joe, he's a he's a gay man, right? Mm-hmm. And like, we have a lot of conversations. And he's like, Blake, you just haven't. I'm taking one reason I'm taking you on tour because you're good at what you do. But I also see something in you where I think it's important to get out and explore the world. Because I because sometimes even I get in a box where I think everywhere's like Seattle. And he's like, there's certain places where I'm just gonna stay in my hotel and not explore the city yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because first of all. Um, I'm gay and my name and face is on a huge billboard in the city. And if there's certain people that don't like me and they're very religious or whatever, like that's, that's, that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, so (laughs) it's, every place is a little different, but, um, that's crazy reality. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but actually going back to supporting your friend, I mean, that's a personal call and I think your friendship and your support, Maybe yeah. that helped him make the decision to go to rehab. Yeah. Know? And I think that's valuable. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't always make our own personal, like the best decisions for ourselves. So I would hate for my people to abandon me if yeah. I'm struggling, especially if it's something that has to do with self-harm. So yeah, that's, I think it's great that you were there for him. Yeah. Community is yeah. very important. Seattle is very weird. Music wise, <laughs> at least. It's a very, what do you really think about Seattle? <laughs> Seattle Seattle's a very like, hush hush when they see something bad a lot of people don't say it and mm. that just kind of throws me off so much so that's why i gotta build my own community and build with other people like you or whoever yeah. you know it's it's just kind of crazy for like how liberal we are in some ways but a lot of things we just rather not 
openly discuss. Yeah, I mean, I love Seattle, yeah. obviously, you know, because of my friends, my community, my family. We're a little weird here. <laughs> I mean, I don't think <laughs> I don't think people always say what they mean or they think, mm -mm. you know. Um, I think sometimes people mistake Seattle kindness. I mean, it's just it's politeness. Yeah, we're polite. Yeah. You know, we hold on to those social norms and mores, but, you know, you may be a raging asshole inside, but you're so polite to someone, you know, to their face. So I'd rather people just be straight up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Okay. That was our rabbit hole. Now let's get back. <laughs> 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 okay. That's real. One of many. Um, so, <laughs> That's fine, man. so you, uh, you started working at Fred Hutchinson and, mm -hmm. um, what were the steps from there? You graduated and all that. Yeah, steps from there is um, growing up in Kirkland, I mean, there was a time when, you know, I was the only Asian kid in my grade. Yeah. And then the closest Asian to me was a grade above or below, and that was literally a cousin. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> I've always, besides family, I never really felt like I had a sense of community. Hmm. So came back here, worked at Fred Hutch, and, you know, I did some volunteering and connecting with folks here and there, but I hadn't quite found my lane right mm. so i joined this thing called aclf asian american or no oh my god i'm gonna screw up the acronym <laughs> asian community asian american something community leadership foundation Hell that's yeah. terrible i used to be on the board <laughs> and i'm blanking on the name aclf for short okay so um it was based in cid it was meant to foster asian american leadership in community right so a couple of folks who i really respected went through that uma rao mm. um alan vu Great folks in the community, amazing. Um, Alan used to do resident media, hip hop yeah. promotions. Uma still is in the nonprofit world, works as a consultant. Um, and I started finding people who kind of felt the way I did, you mm -hmm. know? Um, started calling us agents who give a shit, mm -hmm. right? So <laughs> I went through that program, and that was a good way to just connect with folks. I really didn't have many Asian American folks in my life. Like, mm -hmm. my, my, education my social circles were mostly white right, right. um and so i got into that scene and then i forget who it was but someone in that network they're like i know you do film martin uh there's some folks doing the seattle age american film festival uh they're they're gonna start it you should talk to them I'm like oh shit i didn't even know it existed because it didn't exist right. um it it was a festival that lived in the 80s um and then it died and then mm. came back as Northwest Asian American Film Festival. Lasted for about five years, then went away for five years. It basically had to do, it was all volunteer run. So Got it. if the founder, if their life changed, you know, it would kind of go away. So I plugged in. I was just like, I shot them my reel. I'm like, can I help in any way? They're like, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so Kevin Bang, Vanessa Al, shout out to them to bring that back. And in a lot of ways, setting me on my new life path. Mm. Um, so I, I joined them, did all sorts of things like, I was a projectionist, I was a community liaison, grant writer, but we all did that, right? And so, honestly, at that point, I was kind of lost. Um, I'll be real. I've suffered with depression most right. of my life, you know? So I wasn't really creating, hmm. you know? Um, but I shot a promo for SAF, Seattle Asian American Film Festival. And then we had the first one at Wing Luke Museum. And I met folks who looked like me who were making hmm. films, you know? And it just jump-started me it made me start making stuff again you know it made me um branch out and help people make stuff you know i help produce different projects and then when that the two founders kevin and vanessa they were at points in their lives where they couldn't carry it on mm -hmm. uh, i that's when i stepped in and mm -hmm. took over as a co-exec uh, co 
director of the film festival. So I did that for like three or four years, loved it. Um, taught me how to run events, connect with community, elevate different voices. Um, yeah, and so from there, through that whole time, I was making short films, and then I hooked up with Shunpike. Hmm. So Shunpike is actually the fiscal sponsor for Seattle Asian American Film Festival. Got it. Um, and how long has Shunpike been around? Dang, 20, 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh -huh. or I guess 21. Uh, I believe our 20th was supposed to be you know, the big celebration, yeah. but it was at the height of COVID before vaccinations and all that. So it was just like a muted Got it. live stream event, you know? Uh, so Sean Pikes, yeah, 20 years old, and that's how I got to know them. And then some folks at Sean Pike, they wanted to create something for BIPOC artists, mm -hmm. right? So they invited some folks in the community to over dim sum to talk about what can we do. Mm -hmm. And that's where uh, ACES, Artists of Color Exponent Symposium, was born. It's yeah. through these discussions. Um, and then, yeah, a few years later, I saw that there was a job opening to be the coordinator for that you know, project. Mm -hmm. And then I hopped on. And so... I guess that was what, like 2019, and just been with Shunpike ever since. So was Shunpike posted, post, uh, focused on uh, Asian Americans, or what was that like? Oh, no, no. So, yeah, it's the focus is BIPOC. Okay, just in general. Yeah, Got in it. general. Um, and actually, that's one of the things that appealed to me, because I was, you know, kind of like we were talking about before we turned on the cameras. Yeah. It's just like I like to grow my circles and like yeah. connect with different folks, especially folks who maybe don't connect with each other. So my lane was very much CID or... Asian Americans in film. So the idea that I was opening up to different communities, you know, um, black visual artists, Latino musicians, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that was really appealing to me to just, cause I mean, I think, I think we silo ourselves sometimes too much, you know? Mm -hmm. um, have you ever heard of the Gang of Four? Mm-mm. Okay. Oh wait, is that the thing? That... With like Uncle Bob and- Oh wait, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, there was a uh, there were these community activists in the seventies. Um, a lot of it was brought about when the kingdom was coming, and they were just, you know, projects like that oftentimes just bulldoze oh. ethnic communities. You know, so folks came together and started protesting. But it was leaders. But break down what people might not know what the kingdom is. Oh shoot! Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> dang, <laughs> that's right. Kingdom is a stadium where this uh, the Mariners used to play, right? Um, and came up in the seventies. So it was cool. I mean, I have memories of going there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, eventually it got torn down, and that's how we got – what is it called now? That's why we have T-Mobile and Lumen Field. Is okay. their yeah, sponsors yeah. now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of in the same area. Got it. Um, but, I mean, there used to be nothing there, right? Well, not nothing there. There was an Asian-American community there, right? So you always have to – when you got to build something like that, someone gets moved out, right? Oh, that's – Yeah. Because I guess T-Mobile and – it's not so wait, safe coat. Yeah, T-Mobile and Lumen are pretty close to the international district. Yeah. Wow, I never really thought oh, about right. how yeah. that. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, no, that's good history. You should look it up. Yeah. Whoa. But yeah, that was. I mean, that was one of many things back back then. Just folks were, you know, shit wasn't right. You know, you had to protest. You had to mm. make changes. So, dang, my ADHD is coming up. I'm blanking on the names, but no the Gang worries. of Four was like these four activists in Seattle. Uncle Bob was one of them. Bernie White Bear, um, Gossett, and apologize, I'm forgetting the last person. But they were they all represented different communities, right? Asian American, Indigenous, Black, Latinx, and they would come together and it's just like, yo, there's a protest. Boom, they were there. Boom, they were there. And 
I loved hearing stories about them. You know, I'm just like, okay, people were building across wow. lines, right? Across neighborhoods. Um, but then now, hopefully it's getting better, but I felt like things are very, we're the Asians or, you know, like, no, 100%. it wasn't as much coming together. I think, I think it was kind of, it's almost more wild and more pure back yeah. then. But then since then, things have become so like organized, you know, yeah. like folks who were crazy rabble rousers and revolutionaries. And then eventually, and it was necessary, you know, to build those structures, but eventually became like nonprofits with boards and mm. staff and all that. And I think it in a way separated us in a lot of ways. Do people know about the, is that like a common knowledge about the gang of four? Uh, I mean, I, it kind of depends on what communities you're in. There's a, there's a book about them and yo, you can look them up on wiki. But it's important, yeah. like, yeah. That's just so, I don't know. Yeah. It's just so weird how there's like so many like resources and things and yeah. available in Seattle and like a lot of people that can and should be using don't even know about it or yeah. even know about the history. Yeah. No, Um. what was it? Um, what the Yeah, heck? they just built a lot of stuff and created spaces for everyone. Like, Are there any El like- Centro El Centro came from the folks. El Centro de la Raza. What's that? Um, it's a community space up in Beacon Hill. Okay. Yeah. Um, it hosts a lot of Latinx events and support. Okay. So the founders, yeah, the founder was part of Gang of Four. Gotcha. I've been yeah. working with Beacon, Beacon Arts lately and doing oh, like cool. audio engineering for like their live, uh, like what was it? Jumpstart Beacon Hill Park or Jefferson Park. Okay. You, did you hear about that? The Jumpstart? Got, I forget what it's called. No, I'm, going on title, I'm terrible with titles. I know, but, me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I was stressing about on my way here. I'm like, yo, he's going to ask me something. I'm going to not remember the name of it. And it happened. <laughs> but there's like a thing. No, this is definitely no shade to the Beacon Arts. Sure. Um, but it was like, oh, frick. I think it was called Jumpstart Jefferson Park or okay. something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know where Jefferson Park is? Like where yep. the golf course is? Mm-hmm. That's it was the being like, used to dance there. Yeah, yeah. It was being utter, underutilized during COVID mm. and to bring community together, Beacon's Arts, like put some grants together to have like local artists perform at the park. Nice. And there's a big community event. There's like four showcases. Um, Maybe one, Tomo, Nino Tomo Naki, Nakiyama. I know that name. He's like, uh, he's been featured in the Seattle Times a Is few he a times. Composer. He's like, or... I don't even know what type of music he makes. It's kind okay. of experimental. I don't even know. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've definitely okay. heard his name. Yeah. Um, no shade to these artists at all, but like Tomo is probably the only artist that was there that is somewhat connected to the Seattle music scene, and the rest artists like uh, these just random artists uh, that you know. I bet they have a little bit of a following, but like they're not connected to the music scene of the seattle music scene which is a thriving community right so i'm seeing all these like community events and things happen and they're like just throwing money at these artists that most likely know the people that are putting on these events mm-hmm. versus actually the ones that are connected to the community which is just like just killing me <laughs> i mean like we both we both work in community right yeah i mean there's so much talent here. Mm-hmm. And if you book folks who are local, you know, they'll bring their people. Yeah. Um, the money you pay them, they will go and spend at a local business. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I just obviously touring artists, you know, yes, please. I want to support yeah. you if you come through my city and all that. But your city has to support you, too, especially if you're doing something as localized as trying to revitalize, mm-hmm. you know, an important local park for, you know. That's like 
the linchpin of the community. Hundred percent. So like so celebrate the community. Do you think does the gang of four have any like street names after them or anything? Have what? Any street names after them? Oh. Oh my god. I don't know. Like a community I just don't know if community leaders in Seattle are really like celebrated celebrate as, as much as they should. Because I always yeah. make maybe I'm just not saying I know all about the Seattle history, but I yeah. I always think it's and maybe he was in Seattle, but like I'm still confused about like why is there like a Martin Luther King way, right? Was, was he <laughs> okay. like was he? I think most major cities have an MLK way. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just interesting to me. I feel like there's got to be other like community <laughs> leaders that were in Seattle that don't have their own yeah. name, rather than just like Edgar Martinez drive. Yeah, yeah. Is it? I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, I have I, to look I, that up. I feel like every uh, I don't know a lot of cities have Martin Luther King way. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The there we go. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, it's very common. I don't know the history of it. I don't know if it all kind of started happening at the same time. But right. um I mean, MLK here it used to be called I want to say the road was called Empire. Mm. It had a different name. I don't know when it changed, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So Shun Pike is involved with Seattle Restored, right? Yes. Yeah. But they're two different entities yes yeah so i guess i'll give a little bit of background back in 2008 oh. you know there's the big recession yeah. right so all the empty storefronts we're seeing right now very similar times you mm. know just mm -hmm. things were not good um i mean i remember i would go to i would meet friends and half the folks were unemployed you know it right. was really rough um so the pioneer square bia and skipta uh that works in the cid they're spaces that you know deal with housing and development and uh, business improvement they got together they created this program called storefronts okay so they would take proposals for pop-up shops whatnot and then fill up local like vacant spaces right so the pinball museum okay. came from that program uh, massive monkeys the beacon studio came from okay. that program um and then eventually shunpike it transferred over to shunpike Mm. and stay there still called storefronts but after a while you know the economy recovered right so that program morphed into more of a um, program that exhibits visual artists on the street mm -hmm. so if you go to south lake union and walk around you'll see a these really great uh, art installations right and it's part of the storefronts program it's just local artists sh you know showing out right got it got it um and so last summer what was it 2021 uh we met with me and my ED, Lena Sansmark, we met with Matthew Richter. Okay. So, you know, he works at Cultural Space Agency. Boss. He's an amazing man. Um, and he's like, you know, there's rumblings in the city that they want to restart this program because of, you know, the the economic impact of COVID. And so, okay, cool. We're, we're ready, right? Um, a few months later, the city came back to us. This time it was, um, it looks like, you know, it was just a bunch of conversations and it landed in the Office of Economic Development. Mm -hmm. um, and so... They brought us in because they knew we had, you know, some knowledge of how to run programs like this. And they also brought in Seattle Good Business Network. Right. Um, probably, I guess, the most recognizable for um, Restaurant Week. Okay. You know, they're okay. amazing org, right? Yeah. So they're just a great incubator for small businesses. So they kind of match made us because they knew they wanted to do pop-up shops and art installations. And so we are being contracted by the OED to facilitate this program. Wow. Yeah. What? There's that's so many steps and connections. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, and shout out to Andrea Porter, my wow. partner in crime, uh, who reps Seattle Good Business Network and is 
she's fantastic. Like I couldn't do this program at all without her. She's amazing. Do you feel like these programs or even Shun Pike are supported enough by the community? Or do you feel like it's almost like Shun Pike has to be the one that's facilitating community? I mean, I think it's a combo, right? Mm. Like whatever we facilitate is only, it's for people in community, right? right. And it kind of grows and spreads. Um, I always feel like we can do more, mm. you know? Um, but if we can't, I mean, the city, is, they knew we had to make a difference. They knew something had to be done. I uh, really respect that they are open to reimagining how things are because mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't understand what sale restored is it's a program that places you know local makers and entrepreneurs and artists into vacant storefronts right the program started focusing on downtown so from belltown to the cid and pioneer square um the goal was to activate 35 spaces mm-hmm. right did well so we got approved for what we're calling phase two. So this next year we're activating another 45 spaces mm-hmm. and we're expanding out of the downtown core. Got it. Um, but what's great is even the shops we're putting in downtown, I mean, we're taking over spaces that used to have corporations, right? Like right. Madewell, you know, was there. Or right now we're looking at a space that Carhartt used to be in. Oh, wow. Um, next is Macy's. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be crazy. That's yeah. like where the Shunpike headquarters are going to go. Right. <laughs> for real. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... We're not putting in big stores there. We're putting right. in local creators, you know? We're putting mm-hmm. in folks like Avery. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're putting in folks like Sarah Jones, who um, has this really spa- great space called Inside. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, supposed to come to the studio soon. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she's great. Yeah, she speaks about this program. Like, she's a way better advocate for it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Do you yeah. have any, like, idea how many storefronts have gone under due to COVID? Shoot, I wish I had the numbers. I don't have those exact numbers. Um, I know that in 2008, it was about, it was something crazy, like 25 to 30% empty storefront, right? And I swear it looks worse right now, but yeah, Yeah, I'd have to go dig up the numbers. It's wild. I mean, some, (laughs) I'll be running errands with my partner and she's just like, I'll be like, ooh, that, ooh, I'm gonna call that spot because it's an empty yeah. storefront. She's just like, ah, you're always doing that. <laughs> yeah. just, but it's crazy is that I can always find an empty storefront. You yeah, know? like almost every block, there's yeah. one to two to three. It's it's wild. It's disheartening. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah, I'm the type who drives down the street with friends. I mean, like, oh, I know that artist. Oh, uh, yep. I know that. You yeah. know who I really want on my show, Henry. I need. <laughs> I'm dying to have that yeah. guy on my show. Yeah. I was actually at a friend's uh, Diwali party, right, yeah. this past weekend, and I saw a painting up of uh, Su Hong, okay. amazing artist. She's part of Seattle Restored. I met her through Aces, and I was just like, oh, dang. And, you know, I took yeah. a picture and texted her, and she was just like, oh, that's PG and Uma's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love, like, those connections and just seeing, yeah, just seeing folks' artwork out in the world. You know? Yeah, and also, I've, from my understanding, there's a ton of, empty like apartments and penthouses in seattle yeah um my take and you could either back me up or explain more like i could be completely off okay but i feel what from my understanding what i feel like is happening and i live for a little bit of background and i say this all the time too sorry for the listeners i live (laughs) i i live in snohomish now okay yeah um the closest city to me is monroe because mm-hmm. I live in the woods part mm-hmm. of Snohomish. Um, and 
Monroe is supposed to be like a very quiet town, you know, mm-hmm. and within the past year due to COVID, they've clear cut so much of Monroe and put it up just like, you know, what are those called? Like just uh, neighborhoods, right? That with all the same houses, you oh, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, like housing. Um, housing developments. Housing developments, yeah. yeah. Just insane mm. amount. And like okay. it was so sad. Like, yeah. Not saying Monroe people like me. Like I'm, I stand out, I guess, Thor stuff down there too. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, oh, yeah. turn it. There's yeah. like, a, <laughs> I saw this huge development going up and then someone had just like spray spray painted like a sign that said, "Let's save Monroe" or something. Oh, I was okay. like, "Ah, oh, it's not going to do much." But <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's crazy because why that's happening is because of the tech companies going up in Everett, right? right and that's not right. like Monroe to Everett. Sheesh, that's, that's yeah. a walk in the park. Yeah. My commute to Seattle. That's about an hour, you know, but I, I kind of enjoy it because it gets me like ready for interviews and stuff. I'm listening to people's podcasts mm. or music. So mm-hmm. honestly, I feel like I'm productive in that that ride. So I, I enjoy That's it. Huge. Um, but from my understanding or how I, I could be completely off, but it seems like with all the tech jobs in Seattle, it's raising the price of everything. Yep. And then a lot of people who are Seattleites are getting born race Seattleites are getting pushed further and further out of Seattle because mm-hmm. they can't really afford yeah. um, the rent or, or, or whatever. Yeah. So that's why I think maybe that's a lot of these these apartments and storefronts and everything are, are uh, going out of uh, business or empty, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, in terms of housing, for sure. I mean, the CD has changed even in my lifetime. Yeah. You know? um, I'm going to butcher the numbers, but I think it went from, you know, back in the day, I think like 50s, 60s, it was a 70% black neighborhood. Mm. And then nowadays, I believe it's, I think it's as low as like 15 to 18% black. Wow. Right? Because um, people are being priced out, mm-hmm. you know? And just anecdotally, obviously, uh, I know a lot of creatives. Mm. And I know a lot of creatives who moved out of Seattle mm-hmm. because they can't afford the rent here. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, yeah, I don't... I got lucky um, when I got my house. I mean, it's all it's all a crapshoot, right? It's like privilege plus timing and all that. But if I didn't get my house at that time, I couldn't afford Seattle right. like mortgages and rent. It's awful. Right. Um, no, you're spot on. I mean, whatever you think about tech, you know. Yeah. Maybe it's amazing. It's cool. Um, but it attracts folks from outside of here who make a huge wage. And landlords see that, and yeah. they raise the rent. So mm-hmm. you're you're spot on. That's exactly what's happening. That's wild. Yeah. How? What are you using your platform with Vanishing Seattle to accomplish? That's a great question. So, um, shout out to Cynthia Brothers, Hell founder yeah. of Vanishing Seattle. Uh, it's a social media movement. You know, mostly started on Instagram, but she has an insane amount of followers, you know, across platforms. She was just, she's a lifetime Seattleite, so she was documenting spaces that were disappearing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, Bush Garden in the CID, uh, we heard it was sold, right? And it sounded like it was going to be, like, gone in a month. Mm-hmm. So me, Ellison Shea, Chris Woon Chen, some of my creative partners, we started filming, started documenting it, right? Cynthia besides being a regular there, obviously also had her ear to the story. So that's how we connected. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think it was Chris actually who had the idea that 
maybe we should partner with Cynthia and do a film series, right? So I talked to her and we went for it. And our philosophy for that is, you know, obviously you want to document spaces that are disappearing. You know, you want to celebrate them. You want to let people know what used to be there. But we didn't want it to just be eulogies, right? Mm. Like we didn't want it, or obituaries, right? Right, right. So one of our goals is to show like community engagement and different models of being, you know? So all of our films aren't about places disappearing. They're um, oftentimes they're about places changing. So mm. we did, I mean, we did a piece about Hardwick's Hardware, U District, amazing spot. They had to move, they couldn't afford um, the rent because they just zoned it differently. And, mm. you know, you change the zoning, the taxes and the fees they got to pay changes. Um, but Bush Garden, for example, yes, it was disappearing. There's still a fight over that building because right. it's a historical building. But the business there, I hope it's still going to happen, but they were asked to go into Uncle Bob's place. Have you heard of that spot? Mm -mm. Okay, so Uncle Bob's place. That's just the gang of four, Uncle Bob? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's the, <laughs> he was the mayor of CID, man. Um, and she, he's the head HUD in this okay. uh, region. Um, but there was a restaurant out there, and they're redeveloping that space, right? Um, we also did a piece about it, um, mm. Dynasty Room, right? Um, but they're building a space there. Uh, shoot, I'm going to say this wrong. I believe it's Interim CI. Uh, interim is the one who owns that space. But it's a mixed-use space. You know, It's affordable housing on the top and businesses on the bottom. So a spot that is rooted in community is about to become the home of another spot that was rooted in community, right? Hmm. So we just want... We just want to display like examples of resiliency by the community and ways to be. Um, we're working on a piece right now about black and tan. Mm. You know, um, there's a group that came together as a community and just artists came together and they bought it. And I believe it's going to open up in early 2023. Wow. But you know, that's like a historical space that could have very easily disappeared and been sold to a developer, but the community made it happen. Mm. So that's, yeah, we have, we have these, um, tenants right besides do no harm is one of them mm. but another is giving people the resources and you know maybe the fire to step in and make a difference right so if we show a piece and we're talking about you know where this space is you know it might disappear blah blah but there's a um crowdfunding for it or there's you can go to city council and you know advocate for it we try to get folks to you know fight for it mm -hmm. So what do you guys, with Seattle Restored, I feel like I've seen a few um, spaces be like vandalized and things like that. Like how do we prevent that? Or is, is, it, is, it, is that the homelessness population or is it like who, I guess you, I guess you can't really pinpoint exactly who's doing that. But it's, it's, I feel like there are, even if people have money to buy a like a space in downtown Seattle or mm -hmm. whatever, I feel like people are kind of weary of it because of the homelessness situation. Yeah. Like, how do you think of that from like a community standpoint? I mean, that's a tough one, right? Yeah. I mean, it opens up <laughs> such a bigger can of worms. Mm -hmm. You know, people can be wary of going downtown because of concerns about um, crime or the unhoused population. It's like, why is that happening? Right. right? Um, you know, what policies are in place? What's creating those situations where folks don't have a space traditionally, you know, a traditional mm -hmm. home. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I have to be sensitive to f folks' interest or concerns, right? Right, right. 
because we talk to a lot of small business owners and, you know, we'll think about potential spaces downtown and they will say, you know, I, I'll be running the shop by myself. I don't feel safe here. Yeah. Um, I think one of our approaches is to activate areas as much as we can, mm. you know? So there's a block up in Belltown where we are activating two spaces on one side of the street. And actually after this uh, podcast, I'm going to meet landlords from across the street, hmm. you know? So if we can get four brand new shops on the same block, you know, and have them look out for each other and support each other and just attract people hmm. places, um, I think that'll really improve, you know, like the environment for everybody. And, you know, just the whole idea um shit goes down in the shadows right right you know so if you're on a block and like every store is closed and no one's there yeah someone who wants to break a window is going to come break a window you know um someone who wants to tag something is going to come tag it because no one's watching um yeah it's it's also kind of tough seeing it's not just like storefronts being empty even storefronts that are still going there's broken windows right you know um, Even I don't know which direction you came from in yeah, university from district. South, yeah. There's so many just walking up to this studio. There's so many like windows that are currently yeah. like businesses that are like restaurants that are open. They're just windows are broken. It's yeah. kind of wild. Well, yeah, and, but I mean, yeah. If you create beauty and you create life in a space, you know, I think it makes everything better. I mean, for example, we had art installations in the old Macy's mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, right? Just right when COVID hit. And obviously there was a lot of civil unrest at that time, mm-hmm. you know, with for good reason. Um, but those windows weren't being smashed. Right. You know, like the windows around them were being smashed, but the ones that had an artist's name and their amazing artwork was being left alone, you know? Mm-hmm. And if we can do that for more of the city, you know, if we can just help support like civic pride, you know, that's, that's kind of the goal. Yeah. It's also weird how like, I really don't know if segregation is the right word, but how different people are in Seattle versus Bellevue even. Very different. You know, Very like different. <laughs> literally like <laughs> Bellevue's like the whole the whole mall is basically made out of glass and they're not thinking about anything that's going to happen. And then, you know, COVID hits and the yeah. protests happen and like people just walk in, basically walk into Bellevue Mall or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I think that that definitely frightened a lot of people, but it's, it's just crazy, like, when you're in Seattle, there's codes on everything. When mm-hmm. you're in Bellevue, mm-hmm. yeah. like, even, like, houses are... This is not to promote, <laughs> but, like, you know, a lot of a <laughs> lot of houses on a the east... suburban stand. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of houses in, in on the east side, like, people literally, like, keep their doors unlocked, and they won't even think of having mm. bar, like, a, a, what is it called? Barred windows or anything like that. So it's... Yeah. Or, like, um, where, where I grew up on Mercer Island... If a homeless person or a house is a house, which whichever I'm open to whatever the way people say, um, yeah, sure. Uh, houseless is that or whichever? Because uh, you you said unhoused. I'll say unhoused. Okay. I mean, but I mean, I I still struggle with language. Okay. I don't always know how to say the right thing. Um, yeah. but like on Mercer Island, if there's if there's someone without a house or homeless or houseless on the island, um, one call. A police officer will pick that person up and take them off the island. <laughs> you know, yeah. things like that. So it's, it's just yeah. crazy how different parts of, or even in Seattle, like how things are set up and like, um, or like how school districts are set up in Seattle right. and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a purpose. It's a purpose. I can't speak. 
purposeful segregation, right? Yeah. Like suburbs were created by white flight. They were created by uh, auto and gas industries wanting folks to spend money. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a long history of gentrification, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, they will leave undesirable spaces for people of color. You mm -hmm. know, that's how you know, Central District and CID came about, but then when it becomes desirable for whatever reason, because it's close to the Amazon <laughs> campus, then there you're out. Right? It's crazy. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, you know, the history of redlining yeah. in the city, like it may not be as official, but it persists. You yeah. Know? 100%. Um, yeah. I was driving through Redmond what, this past weekend. Why mm. was I in Redmond? That was odd. Oh, I was bringing my dog to the Marymore park. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> That's a great park. <laughs> right. It's sick. It's sick. Um, but yeah, I was driving through Redmond and I saw um, an unhoused person. I was just like, wow, that's rare. Mm -hmm. I've you know, in my entire life, I'd never seen that before. Um, so in a way, actually, that maybe kind of shows how tough times have been. Yeah. You know, that the f neighborhoods that are traditionally insulated or standoffish toward, you know, the greater reality are having to face that reality. Yeah. Do you think psychologically, is there an impact on like a customer or community if you have a space like this where there's businesses that you don't see versus like a storefront where you can literally just walk up to the door do you think that if, does that affect business business or community or anything like that i think so i mean for okay. our program we're only doing ground level shops mm -hmm. because there's some something about the visual right like going by and seeing artwork in a window or going by and seeing people eat in a restaurant mm -hmm. which it's attractive it's it's like an advertisement mm -hmm. to come into the space. It's welcoming. You should see what's happening in here. Um, so yeah, I think definitely making sure ground level shops, you know, it's visible and anyone walking by can see what's happening. Because mm -hmm. um, yeah, word spreads, you know? I think when, when we want to engage in something, I think most people learn about it or do things for two reasons, either word of mouth or social media. Right. Um, nothing beats your best friend saying i saw this amazing restaurant i was just wandering around the neighborhood yeah 100 yeah. percent. yeah um so what, what's what's next for you what's next for shun, shun pike okay uh what's next for shun pike um still still knocking out uh salary stored still working on that working on activating 45 more spaces in the next calendar year uh, we just accepted a few more applicants it was the turnout was amazing the mm. applications were amazing uh, so just pulling those together, still sourcing more spaces. So, you know, hit me up if you know <laughs> of a commercial space that needs folks, especially if it's outside of the downtown core, because we want to spread it out um, professionally or not professionally. Artistically, Vanishing Seattle, we are in the middle of shooting a few pieces right now, mm -hmm. um, but we are about to do some crowdfunding. So, yeah, give us some money. You'll get a T-shirt. Hell um, yeah. Yeah. And we'll try to tell more stories and help more artists and spaces in Seattle. Awesome. What is uh, some final advice that you have for up and coming artists, creators, influencers, business owners? That's a great question. Kind of along the lines that we were talking about before we started recording. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was younger, I didn't understand the importance of community, you know, because community gives you so much, but you can also give community so much, right? Um, this person you meet for this is going to be your DP down the line, you know? Uh, this grant that you facilitated, you're going to apply for it down, you know, just meet, meet people, build connections, build your network and 
just know you're not alone, right? Like, yeah. Even if you are, even if your artistic practice is alone, you're not alone. So let's just raise each other up. 100%. What is the easiest way to reach you? And what's the easiest way to reach Sunpike? Sure. Easiest way to reach Sunpike, uh, go to our website, www.shunpike.org. It's probably easier to find us on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then easiest way to reach me. Um, what is easy? Mm -hmm. You know what's funny is like I work with artists and I help them self-promote, but I'm terrible at self-promoting <laughs> myself. <laughs> so you can, you, can, you can find me on Instagram, East by Northwest, um, or you can just email me at Shunpike. There we go. Yeah. This is the NAS podcast with... Thank you for having me. You're supposed to say your name. Oh, Martin Tran. Oh, wait, wait. This is the NAS podcast <laughs> with... Martin Tran. And we did it.